Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein's Soul's Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein Life Beyond and Frankenstein Soul's Echo are available as ebooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes and Noble, Cabo, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. You must learn the ways of the Force if you're to come with me to Alderaan. With your host, Pete. Hey! Are you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler? You got a lot of guts coming here. After what you pulled. And Greg. I need your help, Luke. She needs your help. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Oh yeah? Watch this. Watch what? I think we're in trouble. All right, here we are. It's Rogue One. It's a Star Wars story. Brought to you by the Disney Corp. Rogue One, a very Star Wars story. Lucasfilm. Brought to you by Disney. Of Disney. (laughs) Makers of such princesses as Cinderella. (laughs) And Belle. And of course, the princess we're all thinking of this week, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. We start on a somber note to wrap up the poop stain that is 2016. (laughs) Well, given this, given the tenor of this year, um, yeah, I don't know how you couldn't wrap it up on on the brown note there. Um, No, yeah. uh, God, was that just three days ago? Uh, That it was. Woo. Yeah. um, I guess not wholly unexpected given. the news of her uh, cardiac arrest slash heart attack on the plane several days previous, but uh, tragic loss nonetheless. Um, yeah, I don't know. I The best I could manage when that came out was just to post the Princess Leia theme. I was just like, uh, fuck this year. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, 2016. <laughs> So Kenny Baker's not R2-D2 and Princess Leia have both gone away. Very true. But we're here to talk about how they she was brought back in animated form. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, That's yes. Right. <laughs> so spoilers for Rogue One. If you haven't seen it yet, why are you listening to this random podcast in the middle of the internet of swamp thing or whatever? Uh, <laughs> oh God! Don't don't hang out with Swamp Thing. <laughs> Adrian Barbeau will be there. Uh, Rogue One. It's a Star Wars story. We saw it. Yeah. It, it, yes, we did. I've seen it again since then. I've seen it once, and it's fun. It's good. Had some technical issues, which you can't really hold against them because at least they were trying something instead of. Well, you don't you don't have to hold back here. We already put out the spoiler thing. What technical issues are you referring to? Well, 
the stolen data tapes that were mentioned in episode four. That wasn't it. That was a hard drive. That was not data tapes. And then it turned into a SIM card, a big gigantic phone SIM card. Oh, uh, would you have liked it better if she was running around with a like 1970s, like reel to reel tape deck? <laughs> yes, because then those <laughs> mystical powers had did nothing to conjure up those stolen data tapes. I, just, I would say they're just like, ah, oh, shit, respool it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was, uh, it was Lucasfilm's first shot. Uh, uh, you know, Force Awakens was laying the groundwork, but this was the first shot for them to see, okay, do we, what this do we have? was our new, yeah, like, what, what do we have for our $4 billion? Walk adventure. Yeah, what, what do we have? We, we spent $4 billion. We know we can bring Han Solo and, and others back and do something that looks like episode four, but... What else can we do with this fancy car? Let's take it for a spin into non-Skywalker terms. And here we are with Rogue One. True. (laughs) Um, And on that note, go see it. See you later, everybody. He's not the best color commentator in the majors for a reason, folks. (laughs) Brother. (laughs) Uh... This was something that when the trailers hit for this, the initial trailers hit for this, I got much more hyped than I did for anything with Episode 7. Um, and I have to admit to being a bit puzzled as to why exactly they tabled 90% of the footage from the trailers. But <laughs> Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm sure we'll learn much more upon the release of the Laser disc special edition. <laughs> yes, those laser discs. <laughs> or the beta tape. Oh no, beta. That's the stolen data tapes on beta. Whoa. <laughs> so Rogue One, the story of the rebels stealing the Death Star plans to get them to Princess Leia, who gets them to Luke Skywalker, who gets them to Ben Kenobi, who gets them blown up to bits. Or something gets gets the plans blown up, or gets everybody blown up. It's all well. If you live on Alderaan, you can say everybody. That's true. So this is that story, and it's unique because you're introducing a whole bunch of characters no one's ever heard of before, unless you read the book. Which I will make my one and only statement of: it benefits you greatly to read the book Catalyst before watching Rogue One because it provides a whole lot of backstory and solves some of the issues of. I'm sure we'll get into here of, well, we didn't really have much character in this movie. Well, oh, if you read Catalyst, you'll, you'll have a lot of character. You okay, well, I'm like, going no. to have okay. a whole section here a little later called Please Stop, Disney. Um, then go for certain, it. Later certain, is now. Yeah, with certain things that I've noticed in both of these Disney Star Wars iterations where it's like, oh, God, just no. Which is Stop what? That. Go, go forth, son. Go forth? Okay. Well, I'll start on a minor gripe, but one that is a, you know, shooting fish in a barrel here. No more fucking CGI blob wheelie whatever monsters. We don't need them. We had it in The Force Awakens, and now we had it in this movie. And it's just like, look, stop doing that. We don't need CGI blurble blob things running around in the first third of the movie. What was the blurble blob in this movie? 
the thing that uh what's his face uh mental telepathy thing yeah yeah yeah. oh god that was that took all of like 10 seconds this but wasn't like the raptors and force it. awakens it didn't add anything well sure but <laughs> that was minuscule uh, I would have okay. I would have accepted a Muppet before I would have accepted that thing. I mean, hey, come on. Based on their love of practical and shit, that might very well have been a mixture of like practical and. Something. Nah, it looked like pure CGI to me. But uh, you, you know, I don't know. You, that you, was just a leftover from a bad rendering of the '97 special edition of Jabba the Hutt. That's what that was. It was just okay. a globity gloop of gibble gabble. Um. Again, some of these are more pointed than other complaints, but um, I was hoping slash expecting that since this movie took place during, you know, arguably the height of the Empire, that uh, at least at the beginning of A New Hope and everything, the stormtroopers seem like a genuine threat and a force to be reckoned with. And here it's just like, well, let's remove any conflict because we can cut through these guys like they're battle droids and, like, not a single fight had any kind of oomph to it for me because I'm like, well, you know, they're just going to kill all the storm and they're all dead. <laughs> well, but... So are all the rebel crew is all dead at the end too, and so well, I'm just talking. Them. I'm just talking in individual like moments and battles here and there. They just never amounted to anything because they were never portrayed as any kind of a threat. It's just from the first scene that they're in, that's just like, oh, and you're dead. <laughs> well, make them make them at least a little threatening. <laughs> So Give it, you make need it, all the stormtroopers to make be... them a genuine obstacle for our heroes to have to overcome. So it you, wasn't until the very end of the movie that it was like even a little bit of a problem. So what you want all the stormtroopers to be the Jason Voorhees Vader of the end? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go that far. But I mean, again, it's like think about the beginning, the first half at least of A New Hope. And everything, it's like the stormtroopers were a genuine threat. Even even on the Hoth base, they were a genuine threat. So good. You don't always have to have them just fall over dead, you know, instantly. It's like, well, if these guys are supposed to be trained professional soldiers, etc., you can have some fun with that premise. You can have some fun with some of the cliches, but use them if you got them. <laughs> Use it. Use them. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the criticism of this movie can split into two different camps for me. Number one, on one side you have have the Disney Lucasfilm story group that I kind of like where they sat down and said, all right, every little thing we do here, movie, TV show, comic book, novel, video game, they are all going to tie together. All the story threads are going to connect. So there's going to be none of this Marvel-like thing where, well, the movies are over here and the TV are over here, and they'll talk about the TV will talk about the movies. The movies will never mention the TV, and they can all do their own separate things, which is good and fine. But I like how Lucasfilm sat down and said, no, no, no. If you put this in a novel, we can bring that up in a movie, reference something back to the novel, and somebody can go read the novel. I think that's good. From a certain point of view, 
Yeah, I'm going to poke some holes in that view, but well, go on. <laughs> but the other side of it is is that it costs something like Rogue One because you have two, two and a half hours of a movie where you're introducing all these new characters and you do it well enough that people can understand who people are, where they are. But there's a little bit of that feeling going into this movie like... Like I said, I I read Catalyst, so I was on board for the movie right off the bat. If you didn't read Catalyst, you're like, all right, I can understand what's going on here. And it it makes me wonder, okay, does that affect how they tell the story? Because they're thinking, all right, well, we have novels and everything else that are going to fill in the gaps on some of these things. So we can make a bigger world story of who these characters are and then sacrifice getting a little bit more in depth with them because we have two hours, two and a half hours to tell it versus could we not have had rogue one just be, Hey, uh, there's a big battle station out there. Have a meeting with Mon Mothma and Jimmy Smith's and they stand around and say, we need a crew of people to go find out where these plans are and let's go get them. And basically real quick, be like an ocean's 11 thing. And not have any of the backstory concerns. Well, um, I didn't read Catalyst. And uh, to me, this thing was paper thin all the way through because of the lack of characters. Um, You introduce an awful lot of people that you could have done an awful lot more with, but they didn't. And so I came away from the movie just going, okay. (laughs) But that's what we're here for. What would you have done differently? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, first, uh, wait, let me finish my complaint list <laughs> before I get into what I would do because I have a and feeling. we that have a time dissolved like... to four hours later. Yeah. And then there was this one scene. I didn't like that the windows weren't clean on the X-Wing. I mean, what the hell? No, Why uh, wasn't Neam Nub I'm not going to be that. Come I'm on. not going to be that far. Uh, I've only got a couple more. Um don't have any more characters in these movies say something like, I have so much to tell you, or that's a story for another time. Tell us now. <laughs> We've done that for two movies. I haven't learned much. Tell us something. If you have something to tell us, if you're a character who is here in this story, do something. Tell us something. Move the plot forward through character development with sharing some information that's that's fine it doesn't have to be a huge basil exposition scene but something see i I would be helpful i like that and i can see both sides of that coin too because one side of the coin tells me disney knows that they don't have a one-off here disney knows going into the force awakens you know we're not gonna put this movie out there and then hope people like it and then it turns into a Fantastic Four situation where it's like, well, we're not making any more of those. They knew that. So we're in a different modern age here where the, everyone's been saying for years that, you know, movies and TV are blending, blending. TV's getting more cinematic. And I'd, say, I'd say movies and video games are blending, blending, but go on. Well, it's possible, yeah. But, but you know... TV's getting more cinematic and movies are getting more serialized. So that's where things are coming together. And I think Disney and Lucasfilm embraced that wholeheartedly and said, we know we're making episodes eight and nine and all these individual movies. 
and then we're making novels. And we know people are going to want to buy them because it says Star Wars. So they're embracing the fact that they can treat this like a pilot episode of a TV series. And I think that's the route they're going is realizing, all right, we don't have to shove everything into this, hoping that people like it, like, and then move on. But I'm not saying you got to put in the kitchen sink here. I'm just saying that there are some very simple things that you could have done to tighten this thing up. No, I understand that. That's what I was saying. On the flip side, I think, uh, and J.J. Abrams, you know, he's not the end-all, be-all at all. He was almost essentially a hired hand for just the first movie and then kind of spun it off. But I think that he lost some of what he had going back in the Alias days that kind of took us all a little bit by storm when we watched Alias and suddenly realized there was this new form of, of storytelling where it was almost like he wasn't holding back. Like he was going further than we ever thought somebody would on a TV show because, you know, it used to be you're going to withhold all this information and tease it out just a little bit here and a little bit there, and yet we'd watch Alias and be like, oh, my God, he just did that? How the hell are they going to continue on? And he found a way to continue on. I think that is something that I kind of agree with you. They really they should not be afraid of running out of information to give, so to speak. And I can't it's think a of any big other. world and yeah, a I can't well-established world to play in. Play there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and we were just talking about it, uh, the awesomeness of the show on TV right now, Ash versus Evil Dead, which... We uh, talked about prior to the show in an episode about Evil Dead way back when, uh, about how you bring that back and how you bring Bruce Campbell back. But that show, and you're now just getting into season two, and I just finished watching season two, and the thing I took away from it is along those same lines of, all right, if you go in and you don't think too much about it as a fan, you're like, okay, there's a little bit of information you have to play with here, so you're going to have to really stretch it out and then where are you going to go? But Ash versus evil dead. And I'm hoping star Wars eventually they'll get to this place that we're talking about is they're just, they're playing with it all and they're putting it on the table in an episode. So that by the time you finish with that episode, every time you're saying to yourself, Oh my God, what story are they going to have to tell now? They just put all that stuff on the table that we as fans were hoping to see. So yeah, I'm hoping that they start to fill in the universe a little bit more in in the the movies, and less worried about the books, the comics, the the theme park rides. Yeah, if you want to fill in some stuff off the side, off of a like solid, well developed script or something like that, I'm fine with that. But don't put parts of the script into the books and leave it out of the movie. <laughs> but but <laughs> then again, I do have to backtrack slightly. I would, I hope that they would do what you're recommending, but I do have to see if you look back to the original three Star Wars movies, they're making them the exact same way as Lucas did in the 70s and 80s. I mean, there was a... I, I mean, we, we have 40 years of just mulling over this stuff and then thinking about the expanded universe on our own to fill in the gaps, but if you just watch episode four all by itself with knowing nothing, very little is given about the larger universe. It just goes. It's just a serialized action to action with a few moments of 
oh, well, the Force is an energy field that gives a Jedi their power. And your father was a great friend. So let's move along and hop to get on. No, you're right about that. Um, That movie was also constructed very much with the mindset of, well, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. But even Empire and Jedi, they... We're filling in all the gaps. I mean, the special editions uh, on the DVDs recent or like in the last ten years had to fill in extra lines in Empire, where when they <laughs> actually well, brought in they? <laughs> well when they brought in Ian McDermott to replace the Steven Spielberg's first wife with the goggles version of the Emperor <laughs> in the hologram, you know, and that version was just. Uh, you know, he's a powerful ally, and then all of a sudden Ian McDermott comes in and they add dialogue about. He's the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. And, you know, even that, you're just adding little bits in, and that's as far as you go. Yeah. So we're spending, we spent the first six movies filling in the gaps ourselves. And I think that's why it's so successful because they didn't say, here's everything about the Star Wars universe within the, con- contained within the stories told on screen. It was 40 years of, whoa, that's really cool. What else happens in that universe? And we filled in the gaps ourselves. Well, I think, again, most of my complaints with this boils down to character development, but we'll save that for a few more minutes here. Um, All right. Another thing that I've had a problem with, and this goes back to the prequels, honestly. Um, Stop making the rebels look like boobs. (laughs) They they have really done – they have really done ever since – God, probably ever since Empire, if you like, Return of the Jedi, they just really have not looked... The good guys have not looked sharp. <laughs> How so? Because well, Mon you had, is not in charge? Well, you had the, you know, in the prequels, obviously, it's like everybody was scratching their heads constantly about the logic or lack thereof from the Jedi. And, I mean, I understand some of that was in there deliberately to show why they fell. Um, but... Uh, the the good guys didn't come off looking real hot um, out of the prequels. Um, and then in this movie, it's like, okay, it's fine if you want to show that there was some chaos at the beginning of the rebellion or that there were different factions or something like that. But they didn't develop it enough for it to really pay off. I mean, if you get to, well, we've sent this this group out on a couple of missions because we're really concerned about this super weapon thing. You guys going to do anything about it? Nah. Uh, really? <laughs> so That's <we're>, it? <laughs> I thought we were rebelling against them. Yeah, but, where, yeah where, we where'd that go? Well, they're a political consider. I mean, it's just like, what what the fuck movie did I just go into? What <laughs> This is what you do. This is why we're here. You just, you go do it. And I don't know if they were trying to, you know, oh, this will make it more dramatic by just having Jen's group go off and do it or what. But I'm like, ah, why do the good guys just keep coming off looking like boobs? That is one major change that I wholeheartedly agree with. That they (laughs) should have, it should have been an Ocean's Eleven thing of here's here's the job, here's the people we need to get to do it. And maybe show, I mean, I know they were terrified of bringing up the prequels at all, but show the Senate. Well, they they have a character in there, though, from the Clone Wars. They can't be too <laughs> worked up about it. I mean, they made that a major marketing point. No, but I'm saying if if you have a scene in the Galactic Senate with Mon Mothma and, and Jimmy Smith's in the Senate, and maybe they're having to play decoy uh you know they they're they're the face of 
you know, shielding whatever subversive thing their rebellion is doing to try and find the plans, and they're going mm-hmm. to the Senate trying to put up a smoke screen, you know, no, 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 look over here, over here, while other guys are working behind the scenes to try and find the plans or something. Or maybe, you know, they have to go to the Senate and go into the emperor's office and we can actually have Ian McDermott come back as, as the emperor in one scene. That's all he needs is one scene. And then the guys sneak in and are trying to find the plan somewhere in there or something like that. I would have even been fine if Mon Mothma after that meeting went south on him and everything like that, just kind of pulled genocide and said, go with my blessing or something, something to show some kind of unity, not just, Hey, Jen went off in a storm in that base. Well, I guess we'd better help. <laughs> if you want to go help the rebels, you better come You better again. go do it now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. Get in gear here, folks. <laughs> no, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. I mean, that's that's literally what it felt like. Yeah, again, um, this is all mechanization of the movie's story. But the story, I mean, the movie itself with good action scenes, it was Fun no, there's there's plenty of stuff I enjoyed. I'm just opening with my gripes, and like I said, some of this is just you know more weighty than others. Um, my last thing would be either a have a clear, well developed villain, or a villain who is a genuine threat. I never felt like. Kylo Ren was a threat in The Force Awakens. I don't know what the fuck Snoke is, uh, so I don't really care. Um, in this movie, it's like the, that first scene with director um, Krennic. I, I'm going, okay, this this guy's coming off. He's, I'm getting a good villain vibe off this guy. He could, he could do some cool stuff here. Um we marginalized, you know, they, they pumped up the whole, oh, the Death Troopers, the Death Troopers, who just ended up stand, sounding like South Park's version of Britney Spears, just going, um, again, not terribly scary. If we'd seen them do anything, I would have considered them to be more of a threat. They never did. Um, and Krennic spends most of the movie just shuttling here and shuttling there and having middle management fights with Tarkin and Vader. And I'm like, shouldn't you be like hounding the rebels or, you know, um, yeah, there should have been a little bit more along the way or he had, he should have had more of a sense of urgency about what he was trying to do. Yeah. And then at the end there where he gets up to the top of that tower and it's like everything's basically kind of falling around and everything. His first thing is, who are you? And then he starts evil villain monologuing. Yeah, I'm just like, just shoot her now. <laughs> Worry about who she is. You can wound her and ask her who she is if you're that worried about it. Yeah, I, I, I think partially it was because he's never really shown to be shooting anyone or doing anything on his own. Well, he shot the her mom at the beginning, right? That was him? He told his troopers to do it. Oh, the troopers did Okay. Yeah, that goes back to the book again, and it's <laughs> painful to say, but, I mean, we're here. I fill in the gaps. Because in the book, he's just a sniveling engineer, basically, who's trying to, to gain power, but he's never – he's not really military. He, he and Galen Urso were kind of students together, and Krennic – 
just kind of went off to gain rank in the empire, but he's never really been a military guy. Well, that's fine. You got your like uber military guys around you to fill that role in with yeah, the death troopers, etc., to fill in that part of it. I mean, if he's the guy at point, though, I mean, make him a menace. No, I, and I understand what you're saying. I'm just doing an apologetic uh, t- tome for Ryan for uh, uh, Gareth Edwards and the writers who probably sat in the room planning that. That was most likely a reshoot. But that ending scene on top of the tower, I bet you anything, they looked at it and said, well, the character of Orson Krennic is not a a killer in and of himself. So he he can't really just go up and pull a trigger on somebody. But then again, how much better would it have been if he had gone up there, shot her, she's still alive, and he'd just be like, who the hell are you? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. And not, you know, evil villain from the 50s monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> Who are now you? I'm, what are you doing? Now here? I'm going to fly to this planet on this errand. <laughs> now I shall go over here on the. I'm like, uh, do something. <laughs> yeah, I liked seeing all the different worlds. Yeah, that that part was fine. It looked great. But they yeah. really should have done a more. I go back to it again, but it really should have been more of an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. Where, all right. We have a mission. We got to find the plans to this stupid thing to figure out how to destroy it. It's being built right now. So let's go planet to planet and get our best rebels together and get this crew together to go find it. And then go to all the different planets, not just all by accident. And it may be Jin's the last one you find or something. She's like, yeah, she's the daughter of the guy who knows it. So maybe she knows something. Let's find her. Maybe she's the MacGuffin of the first half of the movie, and the second half of the movie is the plans. So the first half is like I, I would have I would have loved that because then we could have gotten more of her backstory. We could have understood more about like her and Saw's relationship and everything. We could have understood maybe more about some of the tensions um, between what direction the rebellion was going to go because they say a lot of. Uh, he's a threat, or I've done things, or what? Well, let's see more of that. What What are you talking about? So, what it boils down to is make Ocean's Eleven Rogue One. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that would do it. <laughs> That's right. With a little Jason Vader <laughs> at the end with his machete saber. So yes, that's Rogue One. <laughs> Uncle Leo. <laughs> that force is with me. Okay, you're still there. All right. Yeah, it jumped in and out a couple times there on me. Yes, I was noticing. So lousy Skype. And uh, you're out again. And so Rogue One is a movie with Ocean's, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven tones that it should have had as we had stupid Skype problems. Well, we're back. So uh, what would you say you like about the movie? <laughs> and more Skype problems cause us to come back now to talk more about what you liked of Rogue One. Go! Uh, uh, okay, uh, I'll do my last little missed opportunity thing here. Um, All right. So uh, what's his name? Churrit. 
Turret Inway, the Jedi non-Jedi? Yeah. Um, again, like like the concept of the character, but felt you could have done more with him. One of the big things being, it's like, okay. Um, I thought when Jen's mom gave her the Kyber crystal and everything, and I don't know if Disney was just like, this is too nerdy Kyber crystals or what, but I thought that that was going to play a larger role in the story. And basically all it does is get him to start talking to her, um, when they're on Jetta. But, um, I thought, okay, well, if this is an era where people largely either don't know what the Force is or don't believe in it or anything like that, you've got somebody who believes so passionately and strongly and so devoutedly in it, and you want to really drive the importance of belief and everything that's so central to that character home, it's like, why not give him a little conversation with Jen or one of the other rebels or somebody there uh, to give a reason and a meaning to why exactly the rebels would start using that cry, may the force be with us or with you or whatever. Just some sort of mini history lesson while on the ship that after they fly away from Jeddah. Yeah. Or what it means to him or why, you know, the force went dark and why it's important to, rekindle the flame of the light side or something. You could do it with a couple of lines. It wouldn't have to be some big, well, the force gives us up. You know, it doesn't have to be some big, long explanation to them. No, but Um, there is an equivalency in the Star Wars universe that has been done before that supports your idea wholeheartedly. mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, we're on the Millennium Falcon. Luke's training with some sort of flying robot droid. Seen a lot of hokey religions, kid. That you know that they're flying in hyperspace and describing things. Have him just do it right there. And what if I mean, what if that belief was something that like Cassian overheard, and that's one of the reasons he ends up not shooting Jen's dad when he's got the opportunity to do it, as it exists right now. It's just kind of like, well, I'm not going to shoot him. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Or just it's Chirrut and Jen sitting there talking after they've escaped from Jeddah. And he says, why do you have that crystal around your neck? My mother gave it to me. And go from there. I'm sure you can spin out two minutes of dialogue that will help solve all these character issues we're having following this decent movie. Yeah. And again, most of these complaints are just about tightening things up. You asked me what I like about the movie and everything. Um, Darth Julius Vader and his craziness. (laughs) Hello, I'm Darth Julius Vader. (laughs) (laughs) I'm James Earl Jones, Jones. and I'm old. (laughs) Uh, um, No, but, well, since you brought him up, uh, definitely the Vader stuff was uh, good to see. Um, Oh, and I I, I never thought in a million years would say it, but, God, I really wish they would have had Hayden Christensen in there. Well, weren't there rumors that he was going to be appearing briefly in the movie? There were rumors about him doing something for episode eight. And I, oh, okay. and as soon as that scene started, I was like, oh, this is where the rumors came in. He's for this movie. Nope, he wasn't. I'm like, damn it. Why? That was simple. That was so simple. You, you, you recreate a guy who's been dead for 22 years. Yeah, I was going to say, well, if you're doing that. (laughs) You de-age a woman by 40 years, and it looks terrible. You can't just get Hayden to just be in the back-to-tank and have us see the back-to-tank drained and see his 
demangled corpse to even humanize him more? I mean, why the hell not? You've already gone this far. Do it. Yeah, yeah, that definitely seemed like a missed opportunity. But um, what we got of Vader, I did, I did like and enjoy, and um, I think that that scene that you know, I think most people would say it's probably the best scene in the movie there at the very end with Vader, like you said, turning into Jason Voorhees on uh, the Rebels there um, was what people were waiting for all through the prequels. <laughs> yes, that should have been episode three. Right let, him, <laughs> let him loose kind of thing. So, but, it doesn't, yeah. but it doesn't fulfill everything that Disney sh- is hoping for because... I mean, based on where this movie leaves off, you cut to two minutes later and he's chasing down Leia's ship at the beginning of episode four. And he goes from, I will kill every one of you with my sword, to (laughs) two minutes later, I'm just going to walk through this door and choke some guy and talk to you with my finger pointed in your face. Not- well, it's a big galaxy. Maybe they had to do some hyper-jumping before all of that happened, and he got tired. Who knows? I guess so. Uh, he got tired <laughs> enough to lumber around like 70s David Prowse instead I, of... Uh, I, I don't know how I thought they... I guess I hadn't really considered how they might wrap it up or whatever. I'm a little surprised that they went that on the nose um, with the whole Tanty 4, you know rolling away with the plans and everything. But uh, I don't know. I don't have a particular problem with it. It's like, well, I, I guess if you got to end it and you're saying that this is a bridge movie anyways to episode four, then well, I guess it's as good a spot as any to end it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You, you, you can't make super, up for 40 years worth of uh, But let's get super nitpicky here. Okay. Like, really nitpicky. I've, I've been picking some nits, so go like, for no, it. No, this is, like, really nerd-level deep cuts nitpicky. Do it. He came on and said these plans were beamed aboard your ship. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but handing someone a SIM card is not the action of beaming. <laughs> I'm sorry, you could have uh, played with that a little bit more in detail and not had it tied so closely together. Now I I think I'm uh I think I'm speculating here but from what I have seen online and what I do recall from the trailers and everything I think you had them stealing the physical data tapes um and then having to run across that beach and beam it to the rebels originally, I think that's more how the um, untweaked ending kind of went. The original ending kind of went. Yeah, but I don't know. It just seems like yeah, I'm with you. You didn't have to be that close in time. It's a no, cool it idea. And to leave a little bit more of a gap. Yeah, it's almost like they sat around the room saying, you know, it would be really cool is if we saw it right up to the beginning. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of those situations like when you wake up with a dream and you're like, this is the greatest idea ever. And then four hours later, you're like, what the hell does that mean? I think they should have taken a walk, come back in the afternoon and said, you know, maybe we don't have to have it end right at the moment that episode four starts. Maybe give a little bit of a gap like the 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 plans are being beamed across the galaxy to another ship and then we get the ship and then we see the 
hey, we're getting this information downloaded. Your Highness, this information's coming in. And suddenly we see the back of Carrie Fisher and not the digital animated <laughs> cartoon of <laughs> Carrie Fisher. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, any of that would have been fine. Um, oh, I had a thought while you were talking and it flew out of my brain. Well, we could just hit the low-hanging fruit of what we both complained about when we walked out, which was the final shot should have just been from behind with uh, yeah. Princess Leia with a, helm, a hood on. Another actress could have been performing, and R2 slides into frame, and Iris out. Oh, I know what my thought was. Um, I... It's fine if you wanted to be like, oh, well, everybody died, and one of the justifications for that was that, uh, oh, well, you don't see any of them in any of the later movies. It's like, it's a big fucking galaxy with a big war going on. You easily could have had them be somewhere else. It's okay. You didn't have to kill everybody. Um, And that actually might have solved some of what you're talking about with the ending, too. Yeah. I, I mean, and I really... I, I you could have had, like, the survivors needing to go into hiding because of the price that was going to be on their heads or something like that. I I don't know. And they, like, yeah, they meet up with the Tanty Four and beam the plans there and, you know, whatever. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that once you open that can of worms, you're changing the whole movie. As far as who lives, who dies. Oh, sure. It works with everybody dies. Oh, it does. Um, But, I mean, it could have worked with somebody surviving. Um, Another nitpick, Mm. it it goes back to that whole, God, just go for it kind of thing. Is I understand, well, we're in an age now where Jedi don't exist and the Force is out. But just make uh, Donnie Yen's character, just make him... I'm freaking full-on Force-sensitive. Why not? He just is not a trained Jedi. He just has the Force. But since there yeah, aren't Jedi Council been... around anymore, he just flat-out has the Force, not he kind of has the Force? Maybe? Yeah, that's been in stories forever. People who have some Force sensitivity but no training type of thing. That crops up all over the Star Wars universe. Well, apparently, originally, Lara Erso, Jin's mom, was supposed to be Force-sensitive or a former Jedi, but that's not the case. So she just believes in the Force. I mean, it's all over Catalyst, and the only bit you get at the beginning of the movie is she gives Jin the the kyber crystal to wear around her neck and says, believe in the Force. <laughs> and what a nice bonding moment that could have made between <laughs> Jin and Jared <laughs> if they'd had a conversation that came back to that but whatever yeah, that would have been perfect it's yeah. like you know i i i sense some you know i i sense you uh you you carry the force with you as well and she's just like well my mother gave this to me and he can just say like she sounds like she was a wise woman maybe beyond you know anything you know now or i i don't just something during this mythical scene that they could have had on this ship that would have solved a lot of these issues yeah, yeah. Just a conversation cool. between cool. between Jen Erso and Jared Emway would have solved everybody's character issues. <laughs> um, let's see. Back to what I liked. Uh, I thought the end battle with Scarif and everything was uh, visually quite neat. Um, 
I like the way that the movie kind of opened. Uh, that opening scene I thought was uh, pretty cool and held a lot of possibilities for me. Um, when we first meet Jin, and I think we're getting a little bit more of a mystery or something like that, that could have uh, been really neat. Um I don't know. You've seen the movie twice. I've only seen it the one time, so you may have a little bit different um, interpretation of this. The first third of the movie, is that overly jumpy to you, or does that flow better upon more than one viewing, or kind of how how does that break for you? It's much better when you know what's coming. Okay. It's just, it's one of those movies that goes in an up upward arrow on the graph the second time around. There's some movies that you see once and then the second time you're like, eh, okay. Th- this one definitely benefits from a second viewing because you just kind of absorb everything the first go around whereas this time you watch it, you kind of know people are and then you can get into a little bit. It's kind of like watching the pilot episode of a TV show for the first time versus having seen two or three episodes of a show and watching the fourth action episode of a TV show, you kind of know who people are and then you're on board a little bit. So high recommend for seeing a multiple, a a second time. It it makes it so much more worthwhile. Fair enough. That's just my opinion. Well, I I asked (laughs) and I answered. Exactly. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought just kind of all throughout visually, um, it looked very sharp. I, I liked the design elements to it. And, um, I think they did a really nice job of kind of recapturing the look of the Death Star interior and all of that. So, um, definitely high marks there. Uh, I was not crazy about the soundtrack. Yeah. Well, Giacchino had four weeks to do it, so. He did what he could. He did better than I could. Well, yeah, I four weeks. ditto here. I mean, I I wouldn't be able to do, and a, lot do a soundtrack in four weeks. Uh, a lot of it but, has to do with the reshoots, too. They probably changed so much of the story. Probably. That it was like, wait a minute. This is a whole something new. Just we need something together and we need it fast. Go. Okay. Yeah. Um, make it sound like Star Trek and Lost combined. All right. <laughs> done and done. Uh, I don't know. I guess I just wish it had a little bit more. I, I wish the sound was more filled out. Might be the best way of putting it. It's, 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 there's a lot of very kind of muddled stuff to me. Yeah, we talked about that after we saw it. And the second time we I saw it, I was going in intentionally looking for things that I might have missed. And there was one thing that I originally I thought I remember talking about or just thinking about, which was... They really should use the motif of, I mean, they use the the Imperial March for Darth Vader. They should use the motif of, from the first movie, the Death Star music. The dun-dun-dun-dun, every time they showed the Death Star. There's a little hint of it the first time you see the Death Star in Rogue One, but then it just fades into the normal music. Mm. But that was one thing that I thought, they really should have... Every single time, just done exactly like episode four, so it rolls right into episode four of the bum, 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 as they go into the, they, they see the Death Star. Yeah, it would have been actually a really neat um, connection, doing it that way. Because you don't need any other, I mean, all you have is Vader from there on out has a, another connection for music, so, and then Princess Leia's theme at the end. 
But yeah, it's it was serviceable, but it's not necessary. Yeah. Uh, how? Okay, this this was going to come up sooner or later. Um, it already, in some ways, has earlier with uh, ad campaigns on TV over a decade ago and everything. But what is your? I don't even mean like the legality of it, but what is your kind of ethical take on them? being at a point where they can just reproduce in some way, shape, or form um, people from decades ago, either in look or if they're deceased or whatever, and just plop them into new... Uh, I don't see it as an ethical problem because they can go to the estate and the family of that person and they can't do anything without their approval. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. I'm just saying I guess it's a just because you can should you. <laughs> I mean you can. Um I, I again, it's kind of a gray area because you can get permission from the family. So that's what I would think would be like, well, as long as you go through the proper channels, you get permission from people who would really personally deeply care. Mm-hmm. I, I don't cares. I mean, it's it's like Carrie Fisher used to always say. She always used to say, uh, "She's not Princess Leia. She just looks like her." So, I mean, if Tarkin was Peter Cushing, and that's who it looks like, and they have the the ability to do it, and they get the sign off from people, I mean, if his family says no, then yeah, you don't do it. But I don't yeah, I guess I guess I'm just thinking like down the road, how far. <laughs> Our studio is going to take some of this kind of stuff. That's all. I'm, I'm not saying at all that it was used improperly or there was necessarily anything unethical with this, but it's just a broader question, I guess. I think it's cool if they can nail it, which obviously they have not nailed it yet. <laughs> we may have been traveling through the uncanny valley a bit, yes. <laughs> but if they can nail it down, I think it would be really cool. I, I think the the opportunities abound to do all sorts of stuff like this, to where we're no longer doing the full reboot quote, because, hey, Sylvester Stallone's still alive, so let's do Creed and bring Rocky back, or Harrison Ford's still alive, let's bring Han Solo and Indiana Jones back. You can more along the lines be like, well, we could do a young Han Solo movie, and we don't need to recast Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? And whether it's doing the Michael Douglas and Ant-Man thing where you're like, all right, well, 70-something-year-old Michael Douglas is here, and he's going to perform this scene with dots on his face, and then we're going to digitally de-age him while he's still doing his same mannerisms, and it'll be a miracle. Or Robert Downey Jr. You could do that all day long, mm-hmm. but when you start creating him from scratch, get a while to go before that technology catches up, I think. So come back oh, in like five enough. years when they're suddenly able to do it because we're 10 years on from the first big momentous time that I can remember that happening. And that was the X-Men 3 at the very beginning of X-Men 3 when they de-aged Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. And frankly, the Tarkin stuff was okay, but the Princess Leia thing at the end looked just like the Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart stuff from 10 years ago. <laughs> so I don't know if that was just an afterthought and they didn't have enough time to render it or what, but 
She looked like she came out of some like Pixar like princess movie, and you needed a little like bluebirds dancing or animated <laughs> bluebirds dancing around her or something. That and the Tarkin thing looks so much like a PlayStation video game cutscene. Like they stuck Ben Mendelsohn well, in and they said, "Can't be You're that live. far off with that technology." They they probably used about the same stuff, I would think, right? I guess uh, it, you got to commend them for trying. They stuck their balls out there and said, "I think we think we can do this. Let's try it, and make it happen." They had an actor there who they you know animated over the top of. But I, I, until they reach some point where they can get beyond the Polar Express, <laughs> then we're just going to have this conversation over and over again. So it's either going to take a really small hinted at role. Like, that's what I thought Tarkin would have been. I knew Tarkin was in this movie from the rumors I heard going in. But I thought it would be more along the lines of, like, when you first see him in the movie... He's just a reflection of the uh, of the glass looking out on space. I just figured they'd hire the guy that they had from episode three. If you go back to episode three, though, that's from a far off distance. He doesn't say anything, and he turns around and well, you could really look at him. You're like, yeah, he doesn't really look like Peter Cushing. <laughs> no, um, but but they I did just find figured... somebody who has like the same bone structure as Peter Cushing to be the stand-in for this movie. Yeah. I just figured they'd uh, do whatever they did at a distance or, like you said, in a reflection or something like that. I yeah, didn't figure that they'd do anything where they were lingering on. That was the problem right there, the the lingering on him. It was like at three seconds, we're good. At four seconds, oh, God, cut away. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it really was that kind of that bad. Where it was working, and then you just, oh, God, no, this needs to be shorter. This needs to cut Director the Director Krennic, I am a cartoon. You are <laughs> fighting a cartoon. <laughs> Please, God, cut back to Ben Mendelsohn and hear Tarkin talking. Quit looking at Tarkin. And then when they brought him back again for another scene, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like Newman coming in. Oh, no. It was yeah, that yeah. That's that's definitely the less is more <laughs> philosophy would have would have helped. It'll be interesting to see going forward as this film ages and everything too, um, where people kind of come down on this. I don't know. It, it's not going to age well. I know that. I think in ten years they'll do a special edition and they'll redo it, and suddenly, oh my god, that looks great. Could be possibly. But the, the Princess Leia thing, I think everyone on the internet has hindsighted that one. Just We're just stepping on everyone's well, toes to say, just show from behind, looking out the glass. Looks like a mirror image of the finale of Empire Strikes Back. You just have them behind, from behind, and R2 can come into frame. Because it seems like the final shot of all six episodes of the movies have been have had R2-D2 in the frame somehow. Mm. So do that again. I don't something. understand, too. If you were going to do a R2-D2 C-3PO cameo, why not just have him on the TNT4 at the end? They could have run by them in the hallway when they're going to deliver the plans of the bridge. Yeah, that was a stupid <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just 
That was effing stupid. I, that, that's about as random as during the pod race when you drive by the Jawas and, and Phantom Menace. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have that scene on the Tana 4 anyways, and they have to be on there anyways, if you're that close to the beginning of episode 4, show them there! Yeah. If you have to put them in there, why the... What? Yeah, when they when they when it first rolled by, I went, "Well, that was completely random." <laughs> and then when it ended up where it ended up, yeah, I was like, "Well, why the hell didn't you just put them in here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a stupid hindsight. <laughs> Got that problem solved in a minute. Uh, Again, this this is nitpicking. a lot of little nitpicking that we're doing here. Um you know, at the at the end of the day, um, I think there was more that we enjoyed than we had problems with in this movie. Um, just uh, wish wish they'd uh, tighten a few things up here and there. Yeah, but it was a good first out of the shoot non episodic Star Wars try. Mm-hmm. They just there were a couple of things they could have tweaked here and there, and they could have avoided some of these issues very easily. There was not a whole lot of gymnastics involved in in fixing some of these issues based on what they already have in existence and since they you know some of these may exist too just because of what we were talking about with all the reshooting that they went back and did i mean that could be aggregate things tied in with you know soundtrack stuff that we were talking about and some of those things too so it some of these things may have just come down to a time crunch that, but I also think that uh, Jen Erso's character should have gone through more hell. I wish I would have known the character of Jen Erso more. <laughs> I don't even think you needed to know her. I think there's a certain form of storytelling in our cultural lexicon that is, if you just introduce the character up front in a little bit like they did, mm-hmm. and then just put her through a hell... So that she comes out on the other side as the victor at the end, even if she dies, then we feel much more for her. And I think that you could have done everything exactly the same except instead of, oh, no, my daddy, he's dying in my arms. Well, I guess I'll get out of here. I've got a lot I need to tell you. Yeah. Another time. (laughs) Yeah, not say anything like that. And, oh, no, I got wet. But I get back onto the ship. Um, <laughs> she should have like gotten, I don't know, just something, the equivalency of the storytelling of Luke and Vader of losing a limb or so, something, getting injured, getting a, uh, you know, falling down, trying to get the, the hard drive out of there, falling and, and hurting herself. And Cassian oh. has to take it out and then she has to climb up and out or something like that. Could have even been a you know, crisis of conscience or faith or psychological torment or something. It didn't even have to be like getting physically beat up in any way from that. But yeah, something. I think she should have been physically harmed in some way. So it wasn't, and they showed it in those, those scenes in the trailer that were cut where she's limping and then the TIE fighter comes up. That looks like one of those things where she's been running around with this hard drive all over the place. 
She's on her last breath, and this TIE fighter comes up. That's why that moment resonated in such a brief second there in the trailer, because you're like, oh, mm-hmm. God. True. She's been through hell, and she's limping, and now the TIE fighter comes in front of her. What's right. next for this woman? And instead, what the movie we got was, well, she climbed up a tower and went and hit a switch and hit send, and her Who buddy are shot, you? <laughs> her buddy shot Orson <laughs> behind her, and there they are. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, see you later. <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like she didn't go through enough to earn the hero's m- moment at the end kind of thing. She should have gone through more physically in the movie, and then we would have had more of a connection to her at the very finale. I wonder what would have happened if uh, Cassian had taken the shot and she ended up somehow, like getting in the way at the last second and you had that tension and guilt and that injury ended up being a reason why they couldn't escape with their lives or something. Just something. Mm. (laughs) I think, I I really do think that something that simple could have solved uh, some of these character issues. So there you go. A two minute scene on the ship with, with Cherit discussing the force and her mother and her getting physically damaged somewhere, making it not, not that it was an easy thing for her to get the hard drive and to climb up and whatever, but it was almost like it was a a juvenile video games version of hard. It's like, now you have to climb here. Now you have to go over and hit this switch at the edge of this ramp. Now you got to come back and hit this switch to send the, the signal up. It's like, well... <laughs> Who designed this place? <laughs> yeah. It should have been more like, you fell down and your arm's broken, but you got to climb up here and do this. And Oh crap! The switch is over there, and you just got shot in the foot. Now you got to crawl over. Yeah, it's something like that. It would have been slightly, slightly more meaningful for us. Make make uh, Krennic and his uh, little trooper squad there more of a looming, menacing, always like marching right over your, you know, right behind you type of thing. Threat. I think that would have helped. And, uh, again, if you want to show some of the early day chaos and, um, infighting with the rebels, that's fine. But when push comes to shove, get these people united. They, they have a reason to be united. Embrace it. Well, we'll wrap it up by saying that the thing, the, the, the two things that I like the most are the most fan servicey things was the Vader bit at the end, of course. And then I just really liked how they didn't dive, didn't eliminate all the context with the mythology they built up, and they had Jimmy Smith's and Mon Mothma in that little hallway meeting of, what about your Jedi friend who's in the desert? And I'll trust her with my life. I mean, I just, I like that little <laughs> bit. Uh, and if that had been the prequels, they would have pulled out a little hologram thing and Ben <laughs> Kenobi would have popped up and started twirling around in Bale's hand or something. And Bale would have turned to Mon Mothma and winked. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have been a Johnny Dangerously thing as they kept cutting back and forth between the two of them winking and nodding at each other. and like, Enough nodding! <laughs> oh, I know one final thing that would have made this movie great. You should have brought Wilford Brimley back in. He could have been at the Rebel page. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, <Rebel>. <laughs> Endor? <laughs> Why the hell am I going to Endor? 
uh, or he lives on the outskirts of Jeddah now. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> he somehow escapes. What the hell? <laughs> oh, my house! Uh, <laughs> Just fell into that country. <laughs> if you're having questions, watch the awful Ewok movies of the 80s. Or don't. They're awful. Or don't, yeah. <laughs> All right, Rogue One, it's a Star Wars story. And, uh, it's, it's a good first step into a larger world of making a larger world. Mr. Carrie and Kenny. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. <laughs> Who'd you get going, you pirate? Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Okay, but... Ah!